Nicole Bouchard says she still plans to return to action this year. She reached the Wimbledon final in 2014. And that's all the news from RTHK. Welcome to another Saturday, which means it's time for the week on three. I'm Christy Lai. Hope you're having a wonderful start to your morning. Let's start today's program with a bit of an adventure, shall we? Let's now ship off to California to meet Hong Kong-based adventurer Scott Powery. He is just about to travel to Pakistan to climb two 8,000-meter-high peaks and to raise money for the wonderful charity Animals Asia. More specifically. He is attempting to raise sixteen thousand U.S. dollars to help build a new home for three hundred and ten bears in Vietnam. Apparently, this whole adventure was based on a whim. To tell us more about it, Scott spoke to Phil on Thursday's Morning Brew on the preparations he had to make and how this crazy idea came about. Yeah, so、uh, I've been doing mountain climbing for many years now, and this was an idea that.、Uh, COVID sort of unearthed just because of you know everybody's on their hands trying to think of something new to do. So、Shit. I figured, why not go to Pakistan? <laughs> just like that. <laughs> yeah, just like on a whim.、Um, so we're go- I'm going to cl-、uh, to Pakistan. I'm going to actually leave tomorrow morning、okay. uh, to climb two 8,000 meter peaks,、uh, Gashabram One and Gashabram Two. Okay.、Um, but the more important thing is that I'm doing it in conjunction with uh, uh, Animals Asia. It's a charity group. Oh, we know in- them very well. Brilliant stuff.、Yeah. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No worries at all. I mean, amazing job. Words, you know, there aren't enough good words for what these guys are doing. What Jill's doing. Oh, I know. Jill Robinson is there. They're amazing people, and I was—I'm actually more flattered that they were allowing me to work with them on this.、Um, uh, and then, yeah, so they're opening a new facility in Vietnam in Bac Ma, and they've—you know—they've moved mountains themselves to try to、um, change legislation in Vietnam to ban bear bile farming, and then now they're going to be—they need a home for 310 bears that are now, you know, coming from these farms. That's a lot of bears, and so.、Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> that's quite a few to try to fill the void in, and、yeah. so, yeah, I think they're 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 a great group, but、uh, they need help, they need money, and so、uh, I'm not I'm doing this small lift to try to raise sixteen thousand dollars to you know just to help kind of support them. Okay, well, I'll come back to the fundraising element in a second because basically, you, you know, your conscience says you got to sing for your supper, and it really seems like you're going to、yeah. be doing that. So. Give me a clue as to what you need to do in order to scale these peaks, how long it might take, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So、um, you, it's a process of kind of acclimatizing to the altitude. That's the biggest thing. And you know, the best you can do, since you know Hong Kong's not exactly very high off the ground, or it's mostly sea level, is、sure. that you just train a lot. You do a lot of hiking and a lot of climbing to try to. Build yourself up so that you know. As the higher you go, it's like you kind of have a little bit taken away from you as you go higher and higher,、yeah. and your body will eventually like get used to it. But a lot of times, it's just you know you're going to still slow down. And so 
you hope that your training is you're like Iron Man at the uh, you know sea level, and then by the time you get up there, you're a little bit like more like Clark Kent, I guess. Yeah. Um, and this this is the stuff that takes a while, isn't it? Because you know our bodies need gently coaxing, I guess. Yeah. No, you're right. It's you know you're there's a lot more oxygen and you know or not oxygen molecules when you take a breath in at sea levels and you don't think about it but when you get up to 8000 meters or you know 6000 meters when you take a breath of air you have a lot less molecules in there and so you're just you're, you're kind of panting to kind of keep your body going at the same speed mm. um and you do yeah it's a, it's ice it's a snow it's very uh, you know weather changes pretty quickly up high and, and so the idea is that you just kind of shuttle up and down, getting your body used to the altitude. And if all works out with the weather, you make it to the top. So what kind of kit do you need to take with you? Just give me the real bare bones stuff, because, I mean, we all know it's an amazing feat to do this. And you said yourself you're quite an experienced mountain climber. So what do you need with you? So most of the time you need an ice axe. That kind of helps make you able to climb on steep terrain really thick boots that can go up to about your knee height um, to keep your toes warm and then a lot of down i mean a lot of people have seen these shows recently where these guys are wearing what looks like you know these big jackets and that's basically what you need to be able to handle the high altitude just because the temperatures are so low i mean you're talking negative 20 30 if the wind picks up it can get as low as negative 40 degrees what's the nearest to that you've come so far uh, I, in 2013, I went to Broad Peak, which is also an 8,000-meter peak in Pakistan, and um, I got up to about 7,300 meters, um, and that was about that was definitely the highest I've ever been, but okay. um, and that was the highest I've been previously. So do you have to do everything much slower? Everything you do needs to be more considered because of the oxygen? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like if you think about it, you know, your brain is just not working very well. So things that you find very easy at sea level, when you go up that high, you sort of can't put it together. And so you try to make everything be abundantly simple. You you want it, you do you walk really slowly. I, I told everybody that a an action movie with mountaineers would be about the worst movie to make because it just <laughs> doesn't. You're, everybody's moving so slowly and lethargically. But yeah. yeah, you just make sure everything's simple, and then when you keep your plan simple. And that way you can't mess it up. So you said you're going to do two. Is that just because you can? Or is there a connection between the two peaks? Uh, the two peaks, one, Gashabram 1 and Gashabram 2 oh, are is. the same. They yeah. share a common uh, base camp. And so it's a, it's, it's a big thing to do two regardless. But it just happens to be they're close to each other. So it's kind of like, well, you did the one and you still have energy. There you can try the other one too. Mm. Well, how long do you think this might take? I know you really can't tell, but what's your estimation? Well, we'll land. I'll, I'm going to start July 1st. We'll be at base camp, and yep. I'll stay there all through July, and then um, we leave about August 9th. So it'll take around four weeks to through acclimatization and then actually trying for the summit. So if, if you can think about it, you do three weeks of really up and down, up and down, and then mm. that last week you go up all the way and you shoot for the top. That's brilliant. Let's get back to Animals Asia. Obviously, is it like the sponsor me deal? Is that what you've been doing to people? Yeah, this is basically, it's a GoFundMe page, and yeah, I hit up every single family member, friend that I could, um, and you know, amazingly, we I launched it 24 hours ago, or we launched it 24 hours ago, Yeah, uh, we're up to about 6,000 of crazy. the 16,000 that we need, <laughs> yeah, solid groups of people out there. Tell our listeners where they can look, I don't mind plugging this because it's for an extremely good course, tell us where they can go online. Oh, 
So you can go to hashtag DH Summit Goals, um, and it'll take you to our page. It'll show you where the GoFundMe page is. Yep. And then you can also go to Double Haven Brewing, our Facebook page or Instagram, and they'll you'll find the post there that'll take you directly to our GoFundMe page. And that was Hong Kong-based adventurer Scott Powery on The Morning Brew. If you would like to support Scott and the cause, check out Animals Asia's Facebook page for more. Graduation season is just around the corner, and a massive congratulations to all graduates for achieving another milestone. Graduating means it's a new life stage, and it can sure be very daunting. If you graduated a while back, what are the things you hoped someone would have told you? Would it change how you stepped foot into adulthood, or would you have paced things slower? Up next, Radio 3 producer Yuki Zhang and I shared with Sadi Usmani some tips and thoughts on how to navigate life after graduation, and perhaps it might inspire you to take things easier. Back then, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so um, I was lucky enough that um, I got a job straight away after my graduation. So I. Didn't really have the time.、Um, I didn't really have sort of a frustration、um, of job hunting, those kind of stuff.、Mm-hmm. So、um, I was really lucky. But then I know many of my friends they just didn't know what to do. They were just,、oh, should I go to work or should I just give myself some time to rest? Or yeah, I think that's、mm. the, frust- the frustration of you. Being an adult, maybe.、Mm-hmm. I think and suddenly you realize that、yeah. it's up to me now. Yeah, suddenly you're on your own. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that was me. Like, okay, so you were you were lucky. You got、yeah. the job and stuff.、Mm-hmm. And how about you?、Uh, I was actually lucky enough as well. I got job basically straight right straight right away, but、uh, it was also in the middle of the pandemic.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a job offer in I think September of.、Uh, 2020,、mm-hmm. but then、uh, because of COVID, a lot of things got pushed back because、um, a lot of procedures、uh, got delayed by like a, by a lot of months actually. So I got actually got to take a short break before、mm-hmm. I actually got Which is good. Yeah, before I actually started working.、Um, so I think、uh, pretty much the same as Yukiya.、Uh, A lot of my friends actually job hunted for more than a year before they actually found something they liked or something they wanted to do and pursue. So,、um, yeah, I do think I'm really lucky and very blessed that I do have I didn't have that frustration as well.、Mm, because it's a it's a bit of a minefield in a way, isn't it? Because、mm-hmm. you. You know, looking for a job, as you said, you know the frustration can come in, and and it can have effects on your mental stability,、mm-hmm. physical,、sure. all sorts of things. So, so what would you advise? I mean, given how you started, you guys were were lucky. How about your your friends and stuff? Were they going through similar things to you, or did you see changes there?、Mm, I would just say,、um, be adventurous,、um, follow your heart, because sometimes、um, people just. Tend to think too much、mm-hmm. um, when they choose、um, which job to do. Like for example,、um, people may think that oh, should I should I、um, go to this field or if I choose this job, will this sort of set my career path already? But then、um, now I feel like it's good to do different of stuff when you're still young, so that you get a taste of everything,、mm-hmm. and then you 
make but, a decision. Yeah, and then you yes, can make a decision true. after. And then after you do um, different jobs, you definitely know what you like or what you don't like. Mm-hmm. So I would just um, think that people just just go, just don't think, just do. Copy no. that oh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I suppose in a way, when you look back at it now, it's easy to say that. Yeah. Yes. But when you've it. just started and you're thinking, and, and there are pressures, did you ever feel, or did your friends ever feel any sort of pressures from family and oh, things yeah, like that? For sure. My friend, uh, a friend of mine, he job hunted for more than a year mm-hmm. before he uh, actually started working. Because uh, he actually interviewed for lots of jobs, but he couldn't really find something that he was truly passionate about. And even if so, the pay, the salary was just not up to a standard, which is, I mean, during that time, it was also the pandemic. So a lot of uh, places lost talent because of that. And uh, because we're fresh graduates at the same time, our salaries also kind of being deducted because of that, because we have no experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. it was very frustrating also for him yeah. because he felt this pressure that I've been spending so much time job hunting already. Why still I haven't really found something I wanted. He thought it. He thought of settle, settling for a job that he doesn't really like or just he has no passion in, but at the end he kind of persevered and waited eventually found something that he liked which yeah mm. it was yeah, a very difficult situation it's, it's an easy thing to happen isn't it where just because for the sake of it you just want to get mm-hmm. a job and then you just go for it yeah. so generally what are the stats and what what does it say about you know graduates and the kind of things that they're going through and, and is there any set advice that people are given um i I was actually looking up on Google to see if there's any um, like advice for fresh graduate. I think many of them, they they were pretty much what we were talking about, mm-hmm. like um, follow your heart um, and also don't think too much and then took, don't take um, everything too seriously. Yeah. Because I think um, for job hunting, many like for example when I was job hunting, I feel like oh I I don't really I'm not really qualify for this job or I'm not good enough for this should mm-hmm. I still try it so I think um, this is where you have to be confident and where you have to be just trust yourself um, if you get it then get it if you don't get it it's fine you can just choose the next one just yeah I think be brave and then, yeah yeah mm-hmm. I kind of want to add is that some people for instance have imposter syndrome mm-hmm. so it's basically uh, sort of like perceived fraudulence and self-doubt and thinking that you're very incompetent okay with uh, your achievements of what education wise or career wise mm. I think uh, a tip that I've learned is to hype yourself up yes. before any interv- in before any interview and uh, a tip that I sort of learned myself was I like preparing mm-hmm. and uh, I would think of just questions that people would and would ask me during interviews Mm -hmm. and i go through them in my head in the shower Mm -hmm. and practice what i'm gonna say yeah Yeah. because if you actually prepare beforehand the anxiety would definitely lower a bit in some way because you already know what to answer you've written everything down you prepared beforehand so you've 
definitely got this. And that was Radio 3 producer Yuki Zung and I on the 1-2-3 show. We always talk about museums and art galleries on the show, and looks like Hong Kong is getting a brand new art museum very soon. The Hong Kong Palace Museum will open its doors to the public in July the 2nd. The museum is located in the new bustling West Kowloon Cultural District and houses more than 900 priceless treasures and will actively hold special exhibitions featuring Chinese art and culture. On Friday's Back Chat, Samantha Butler and Janice Wong spoke to Dr. Louis Ng, museum director of the Hong Kong Palace Museum, who told us more about what we can expect on the grand opening. Okay, uh, as you mentioned that, you know, we will uh, feature over 900 uh, priceless treasure from the Palace Museum. Uh, those known are amongst the finest was from you know this palace museum collection and will be presented at the nine opening exhibitions so um the treasure on loan to us are rich and diverse covering all major categories in the palace museum collections ranging from printing calligraphy to bronze ceramics jade metalwork lacquer silk custom and textile and also uh, rebel architecture you know that you should mention you know that this was spent near five thousand years so um that you know that these loans are fully you know that um select from over 1.8 million, you know, uh, was in the Palace Museum collections. Um, um, among them, there's 166 worth, um, nearly um, uh, 20% uh, grade one objects, you know, that which are classified as uh, national churches. And how were these pieces chosen? Okay, oh, oh, actually, you know, that this is a joint effort, and then, you know, the Hong Kong Palace Museum and also the um, Beijing Palace Museum team, we work together and select the objects, and then with a view to telling the story uh, behind this national treasure from the perspective of cultural history, um, for which the window in the rich history and culture of forbidden city is open, and new nation on its transformation from a palace into a modern museum. Actually, I think the both team, you know, that um, I think that they were, I think, uh, nearly two years, I think, that to finalize the objects, you know, the story now, you know, that, and also the design of the galleries. If you had to choose your favorite piece on display, which would it be? Oh, it's, it's difficult. Mm. It's very difficult, you know, that because all these 900 objects, you know, are national um, treasure. And also, you know, that um, uh, um, uh, because, you know, that we will change, you know, that um, um, the uh, display period from time to time, uh, ranging from one month to over one year. And because we have to follow the best conservation practice. And um, for example, you know, that was on paper of seal, um, you know, just like the ancient Chinese painting, you know, they are highly sensitive, you know, that to and humidity fluctuations, so that we can only you know that display for one to three months. Uh, maybe I will uh, highlight one very very important uh, exhibition on one gallery in our gallery. Uh, a is about the uh, Chinese painting and calligraphy um, uh, from the Palace Museum, 
and then we would display uh, 35 value red and printing and calligraphies. And um, um, because I think that this is, I think that uh, it will offer visitors once in a lifetime opportunity to appreciate, you know, that this 30 uh, church of Chinese painting from the museum collection. And many of, of them, you know, that um, will be displayed outside, you know, the um, Palace Museum for the first time. And that we will arrange this um, uh, 30 um, printing and calligraphy in uh, with three rotations. So that every rotation is only one month. So I think they are all masterpieces, I think, in um, Chinese art canon. Now, it must be difficult to pack and transport such masterpieces. Was there also any delays in transporta- transportation of the relics because of the pandemic? Uh, yes, yes, it's some delay um, because, you know, that's, uh, they are all national treasure. I think that uh, have to be handled with utmost care. And um, I think in, in particular, I think that during these three months, I think the COVID situation in Beijing, there were some delay about the packing material. Um, but uh, fortunately, I think we managed, I think, to resolve our problem. And all these 900 objects uh, were carefully packed and placed in uh, 144 cranes for shipping to Hong Kong um, in five batches. It was, it was flown into Hong Kong. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, three batches have been safely arrived. And then um, our museum and also the Palace Museum conservators, collection managers and uh, professional art handling company, you know, that they have been working really hard to ensure the safety of the art treasure while on packing and transportation from Beijing to Hong Kong. And uh, uh, on their arrival in the airport, the cleans and also the, with the artifacts uh, were taken to the Hong Kong Palace Museum um, escorted by a team of armed police. So if you know there's high security arrangement to ensure the safety of these national treasures. Dr. Lewis M, Museum Director of the Hong Kong Palace Museum on Friday's Back Chat. To end today's week on three, I'll leave you once again with Steve James. And on Thursday's afternoon drive, Steve celebrated the birthday of composer, singer-songwriter Rod Argent. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and I'll catch you next week, same time here on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. With music, news, and information, this is Radio 3. The Steve James Afternoon Drive. Fascinating background, fascinating guy, super smart, super on it. On Radio 3. Let's do it! Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom-a-lack-a-zoom-a-lack-a-wee. But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Everything stops for tea. And here we go. Oh, they may be playing football. Mm-hmm. And the crowd is yelling, kill, kill the referee. Kill the referee. But no matter what the score when the clock strikes four. Whoop. Everything stops for tea. Tea break this afternoon, acknowledging the birthday. Uh, born this day, 1945, English musician, singer, songwriter, composer, record producer, all round huge individual Rod Argent a member of the Zombies and also the band Argent who had the 1972 UK number 5 signal single Hold Your Head Up we'll deal with the Zombies in 1964 after this
This is the Steve James Wireless Program on Radio 3. What a guy. Uh, uh, uh. Well, no one told me about her, the way she lied. Well, no one told me about her, how many people cried. But it's too late to say you're sorry. How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her. She's not there. RTHK.